Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Pastors and Polemics. I'm Mason. I'm Kiva. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to Pastors and Polemics. Kiva, we have such an exciting episode this week. I'm pumped because, Mason, we're like teaching and preaching this week, and we haven't done a lot of teaching and preaching lately. <laughs> We've done a lot of like just talking about our lives, talking about what's going on in the world, processing, but we are coming back to one of our first pop scriptures which was talking about the Tower of Babel and Pentecost. And Mason had one of his bright ideas. He was like, kids are connected. And I was like, they are. And so we've both been kind of like reading, listening broadly. And we were like, we want to have this conversation for our listeners. And so that's what we're doing together. We are talking about um, Babel. Um, the Tower of Babel, and we're talking about Pentecost and how they're related and um, how to kind of put the two together and process theologically, um, pastorally, and pastorally in the sense of like, what do we do? How do we care for our neighbor um, in that way? And so this may be a, li- a little less of a polemically, you know, podcast, but more of like a pastorally podcast in that sake so um or in that vein so i'm really excited about it so kiva have i ever told you how i how i came to this discovery you did not you just shouted it out and i said oh (laughs) freshman year of college okay freshman fall actually so first semester of college i'm taking this wonderful class called homiletics okay um, with dr ricks so homiletics is basically just sermon prep sermon preparation delivery it's how to build a sermon right um, and so I'm taking it. And so one of the things we had to do was a short sermon okay. over us on the text. And so we were looking through the text and I was like, none of these look interesting. These all look really boring. Um, I don't like any of these. There were like three passages from Job and I was like, I hate Job. So I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then I see Genesis and I'm like, oh, I love the book of Genesis. Right. Like appeals to the Hebrew nature of me. So hey, like, we'll do Genesis. Sounds right. like a place. Um, and so it was the it was the Tower of Babel narrative. Oh, okay. And so I was like, okay, cool. And then I forgot about the sermon. Um, you did not preach the sermon the day of, Mason. I preached the sermon the day of. Um, That's the one thing they tell you not to do. And I got A's on all my sermons. Oh. So until the Lord punishes me, I'm going to keep doing it. That's oh, a joke. Gosh. I actually do prepare. I promise. Um, I just forgot that week. He does prepare because he calls me. <laughs> Problem. But so I, it was literally day of, two hours before I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give my sermon. And I'm like dying because I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. And then I have this beautiful idea. Uh-huh. And so my idea, I'm talking about, so like I'm a very much a, oh, what is the term? I'm very much a expository preacher. Yes. I love going into the details, but then like I'll ADHD moment and I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll squirrel off <laughs> and I will be talking about the context and the culture and the culture and like the Hebrew behind it because I love Hebrew. Um, I preach a lot out of the old Testament, um, but not in like the fire and brimstone way, but in the, in the God, God is a God of love and always has been kind of way. Um, and so I preach a lot, like I 
bring it up. I bring up the context and I bring up the earliest known manuscripts. And I'm like, hey, like the earliest records we have say this. And then I'll just kind of go off into a little tangent. I think my preaching style is fun. It's chaos. It, uh, yeah, it's chaotic. But it makes sense. It does. And it, it portrays the good word. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's definitely not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> and I don't want to preach for a living. Um, <laughs> so in doing it, I was ta- I was like writing down and I'm like, okay, so we have this, we have these people and these people and these people, and I love language and mm-hmm. all the people, how they divide is they kind of divide into language groups. Mm-hmm. The table of nations divides into language groups. Yeah. And I was like, and it, it kind of caught my attention because like nerd and I went, oh, interesting. And so I decided to like lean into the language aspect of like language. How do we communicate? Yeah. And so I was like, well, what's another language story? And I said, Pentecost. And then like, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, wait, these actually have a lot of connections to them. Right. Um, And it was kind of just, it was really a last minute thing that turned into divine revelation. Um, And it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite sermons I've ever done. Um, it's right behind my Deuteronomy sermon, and you know that is my favorite sermon I've ever done. Um, I've so I have not had the pleasure of listening to your Deuteronomy sermon. Um, I have only had the pleasure of listening to sermons that get you kicked out of chapel. What I um, just drop that bombshell and keep going. Um, sorry for another day, audience. Sorry, sorry for another day. day. Um, but I. I, I know that that sermon, particularly the one you're talking about, Pentecost and Babel, is important to you because of just the richness of what's going on there. Well, and so this sermon, really, this and this and Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy, I call Deuteronomy my first sermon because it was the first one I actually prepared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Babel is really my first sermon I ever did. Wow. And it is, um, it really, it was just pure panic that I made, I made it. And mm-hmm. like, I, I still have the notes from it yeah. and the notes are, they have drawings all over them. They, they look like, they yeah. look like I, did them. <laughs> I found my preaching voice in my first sermon. Mm. So rare, you know? Woo. Um, so in homiletics, we talk about how yeah, every pastor has a preaching voice. Every yeah. pastor has a voice that they preach with. And what that means is there's a style of preaching. And so a lot of the time, the first really seven to 10 years of a pastor's life are spent trying to pre- preaching in a way to emulate the pastor that they grew up with. Wow. And then, so those first like five to 10 years is really emulating the pastor they grew up, they grew up with. So if your pastor did a lot of like allegory and a lot of like story and was more conversational, that's usually how you tend to be your first couple of years of preaching just because that's what you know and that's what you're comfortable mm-hmm. with. And so then after that, you you see this trend where pastors then tend to start preaching like pastors that they idolize, that they look up to. Oh, wow. So like you may get people who try to preach more like Billy Graham or more like, uh, um, you know, like people like that. People yeah. that like, people that they're like, oh, these are great preachers. Mm-hmm. And then after like a good 15 years, of preaching you finally get people who really start to get their preaching voice of like it's their own unique blend that's that's so that's kind of neat i've never heard that 
Yeah. So, and really what, homo, what, what our colleges, I almost said our college name. I was like, yeah. Megan, don't you send people after me? Cause you know, people will find me. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, but so at, in Dr. Rick's, um, homiletics class, what he really emphasized was like trying to help us find our preaching voice mm. and go through like the years of muck. Oh. I thought was really interesting. I think it's so, I think it's really interesting is that like, as I grew up, girls don't preach, right? Right. We could talk about that later um, and how I got where I am and all the things. But I didn't have that. <laughs> so, like, it's interesting you say that, like, you preach like somebody you grew up with, right? Because, like, I I feel like I'm finding my own voice, but I found it. Yeah. Here, like, And you've listened to me, like, teach and preach for a while. But it's not like anything that I've heard. And no. I've watched myself preach before and I still like, I've watched the playback and I'm like, Oh, okay. Alrighty. That's not, that's not like anybody else. And I'm kind of, I'm really okay with that. Yeah. I'm really it's, okay with that. You know, like that, this class, like this sermon was so out of panic that I didn't have a lot of time to prepare or that I didn't spend the time to prepare. And so in not doing that, I kind of, for, like it kind of forced me to just, right myself to show up as you and it was like one of my favorite sermons i've ever done because of that because it was just so authentically my style i think that brings us to pentecost well not pentecost babel yeah i think that brings us to when we arrive in genesis is it what seven um no so you're right it's a little bit farther than that I know I'm right. Sorry, it's 11. It's 11. I knew it was going to get there. Um, whenever we get to uh, Genesis 11, we see people who are kind of standing strong in their, their uniqueness. Yeah. And, and, and if you're, you're not familiar with the Tower of Babel, here's basically a snapshot of what's going on. Um, the flood has happened. Earth has been repopulated to a point where people have gathered together even after the lord has said be fruitful multiply and spread out and they've gathered together they are living in community with one another they all speak the same language and they get together and decide they gather i want you to key on this or they gather together and they decide to build a tower that will reach into the heavens so that they can go see god Okay, God <laughs> decides that this is not the way that God would like this to be. Okay, um, God goes, this is not what I asked. This is not what I commanded. This is not what I told them to do. Um, and he decides to spread them out. Okay, um, he comes down and confuses their language. Okay, and because of that, they then all spread out and they're not gathered together anymore. Okay. And so when Mason started talking to me about Pentecost and Babel, I was like, I don't see how these go together. I'm going to be honest on paper. Like it was a big jump for me, but as I started reading, you know, the stories over again and putting them together, I go, Oh, I see how this makes sense. 
We've got, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> not crap. You're right. More so, like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Ding ding ding. Right. Um, because then you've got Pentecost, where you've got these very people who have been scattered, who are now gathering together with their different languages, right? And they're they're seen as one. There's a oneness in both, right? But as Mason pointed out so clearly, like language is the is the way that God spreads them apart. It's not race, it's not culture, it's not ethnicity, it's language. I've got something really neat to, to point out. Um, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I love about it is it reemphasizes how important language is to the Lord. Yes. Which we don't really talk about. We talk about our actions. We talk about, like, when we talk about how, like, make, um, you know, like, we should honor God by our actions, not not just by our words. Yeah. And yes, like, absolutely. Right. But also, like, there's some really interesting stuff here. So here's what... Here's what I think is interesting. Okay. So let's kind of give some context. Okay. So we have the mountains of Ararat is where our story begins. Really. Right. The ark lands on the mountains of Ararat. Yes. Which are in modern day Turkey. Right. Okay. Over time, humanity has unified. They have grown Enough to where the like in between the tower, in between the landing of the ark mm-hmm. and the uh, and the tower of Babel is mm-hmm. called the Table of Nations. Yes. Which what this is is this this is just a genealogy record. This is yeah. This is being blank son of blank son of blank son of blank son of Noah. Like right. This is, like this is what this is. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically, this is a way to say there's a lot of people. Right. Like we're not just moving, we're not just moving two people and their and their dogs. Like we're moving, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Mason, at the time, can I tell you how many people this is going to be closer to? We're looking at like close to three hundred thousand folks. Really? Well, and this is me making an estimate. Okay, um, around when we get to the Israelites. We're sitting around like somewhere closer to like six hundred thousand. So if I just take us in half, that's just okay. a rough. That's a rough I'm, estimate. That's me going rough. Okay, so we have seventy nations worth of people. Yeah. Okay? So seventy people groups, seventy families, seventy bloodlines. Yes. Okay. These oh seventy bloodlines. Yes. Travel to modern day Babel, which. We don't know exactly where it is, but we have some really good estimates. Right. We found a couple places where we're like, oh, the Tower of Babel was probably here. Right. Um, or not it actually was, I don't think matters as much because like, it gives us an, an estimate of where about it would be. Right. A 700-mile trek. Right. Um, so this is a good three-month journey. Right. Um, so it's not like these people just got off the boat, were fresh off the boat, came down and said, yeah, this place looks good. No. Like, this is, like, they walked and walked and found a place that they thought would be suitable. Correct. 
So we keep going. Mm-hmm. Eventually we find this place. And so they start building. And then they decide to build the tower. And so what I think is interesting is the tower, mm-hmm. like we, God does not condemn them building a city. Correct. God doesn't. I don't think God cares that they built a city. Like, because in all honesty, like, when I first read it, I read it almost as if, like, they're building a city that they're going to start expanding. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like, it's a hub. It's like, I almost think, because, like, I almost think it's like they're colonizing. They're... Ah, that makes sense. They're having to recolonize the planet. This is the equivalent of, like, this is the equivalent of us today going to Mars. Like, Ah, we start start with a hub and move out, because it's a completely new world. Right. Because I view the post-flood world completely different than the pre-flood world. Correct. So, like, if that's the case, they're basically on an alien planet. Right. So, like, I can see why they would build a city. Because, like, that way you have protection, you have a safe place to go, and then you can start to explore. You know, like, everyone does it. Everyone builds a strong center and expands from there. Right. So, like, that's not uncommon. Right. But then they decide to build the tower. This is where this is where it gets interesting, Mason. And the language that they use for the tower is really interesting. Because the language they use is so we may be like God. Okay. Pause. Because we talked about this a moment ago. We see that same language where else? The garden. Satan uses this like this same clever, crafty language, right? When he's talking to Eve. Like, like Hey, if you do this, you eat this piece of fruit, you can become like God. It's almost like mankind has bought into this like lie. Or like being like God is something that they can um acquire that they that you know like you know like this is something that they can succeed in. And so I want to point out that, like, the lie has not changed. Right. One and two, I think that it's admirable to want to desire that power because, like, that power can be used for such good. Right. Like, I mean, there is no denying, especially these are people who would have the flood, whether or not you believe the flood is real or not. The story as told is told is told where these people would know what the flood was and would believe the flood 100%. Literally. Like, they would believe it was a literal flood. Right. Um, so, whether or not you whether or not you believe it, the characters in this story yes. believe in the literal flood and are the inheritors of the earth post flood. Correct. So they, these people have witnessed God's power, they, first, or if not firsthand, like they know people who have witnessed it firsthand. Right. It's so like this, grandma and granddaddy. This is a big deal. I mean, it is the equivalent of like. Talking to talking to your great grandparents and hearing stories about World War Two, right? Like, it just is, and so this is something that's very impactful for these people. So it makes sense to want to be like God because, like, that power would mm-hmm. mean that they had safety. So when we see, like, so when we see this, Mason, we see I see something really interesting here. These people gather together to do this this is not a one-person job this isn't like this is a gathering right and somehow but this is this is a human-oriented gather this is yes. not a god-oriented gather 
Pentecost, I would dare say, is a human and a God-oriented gather. Absolutely. Because the humans in this site would be um, the Jews who were coming to worship already. Like, they were already coming to worship. Okay? And then God is like, but I'm going to use the gathering that I've already ordained. And I'm going to orient it in this way in which you will see my glory. And I think we see God's glory in Babel too. Like we see God's glory about assigning people different languages. Y'all, God assigned people different languages that to our recollection have never been spoken before. People left and gathered with people speaking the similar or the same language and moved out and dispersed among the earth. Well, and two, let's talk about the fact that a lot of these languages have like cognates. They have, so cognates is a term in in linguistic that just means words that sound the same and mean the same. Right. You know, it's like um, in Hebrew, the word musica is a word for music. Right. Just is. Um, Just like, um, I can't, I can't roll my R's, but like caro, caro. Yeah. Car. There's also yeah. false cognates, right. words that are the same but aren't the same. Yeah. Um, so, like, just with that knowledge alone, that really, like, that means that people are going to kind of stay together in certain places. And so, you know, maybe like if Kiva and I are speaking English, and all of a sudden I start, go, I start going, yeah. like, if I just start speaking what to her is gibberish, right? Like, she's not going to stay around me. <laughs> right? Like, she can't understand me. And, like, there's no point in trying to have the conversation because there's no common language anymore. And that's what I, and that's what I like. That's what's fascinating to me. Because what God uses, and not that God is the author of confusion, and I know that, that scripture gets put out there, like, really just out of pocket. But, like, what God uses to confuse, notice my, my, like, quotation marks, he also uses to gather back in Pentecost. So, in Philippians, at the end of, at the very beginning of Paul's letter, Paul reminds the church in Philippi that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue and tribe and confess. You see the same thing in Revelation, okay? The same phrase that gets repeated. And I, and I often think about the fact that, like, he is prophesying that like at one day all around the globe when <laughs> Jesus enters into 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 earth and comes back that there are going to be people from every nation, every tribe and every tongue who are going to declare that Jesus is Lord, right? Absolutely. But we first, we see that already happening in Pentecost. In Pentecost, what God, you know, God used to confuse and divide and spread out in Babel, he brings to like hear the same message that like, hi, Jesus is me. Like Jesus is God. This person that you gathered to kill, he's the one who's come. <laughs> like he is the Messiah. Like he is the one bringing the kingdom. And he uses the fact that you hear all these different languages and he brings them together to gather and hear this one unifying message that will save them all. And it's wild because 
when it's human oriented gathering, it's things that like aren't going to bring them the best end. Like building a tower all the way up to heavens is cool, but like to what end, right? Right. But at the end of Acts 2, you know, God has to basically allow persecution to happen so that once again, what do they do, Mason? They scatter, right? But before that, guess what happens? They end up taking care of each other. Acts 2, 38 through 42 has got to be some of the, the most tender pieces of scripture that exist. Because it says all the believers took care of one another and there was no need. So what was used to scatter at one point is used to gather and to provide care. So Mason, as we kind of like guide folks, what is the wisdom here? Like what is the ethic? What's the lesson here? So I think, I think that there's, it's, let's start with this one. Unity can be really good, but it can also be really bad. Yeah. And so, like, this is one of the earliest stories where the group is yeah. wrong. Like, I mean, and not only is the group wrong, but, like, the group is being shown to argue for what is wrong. Mm. The group is saying, we want to build this tower. Right. And I guarantee you there are people who are like, nah, let's not. Like, because I guarantee you it wasn't every single person. Right. But, like, the majority ruled, and so they did. And majority rule was bad. Right. But also, we get to see how unity can also be good. And, like, majority rule sometimes does work. Right. Um, and so, like, I think it shows this beautiful thing where, like, where hu- humanity and its beauty and its complexity is mm. also flawed. And so... And so even though we all are indwelled with these with this divine essence. Right. We're all indwelled with this divine spirit of creation that God right. has given us. And we are able to be like miniature gods, not in power, but in but in stewardship of this earth. Right. We all have aspects of God in us. Right. And combined we can start to we can start to view and resemble the Lord. Mm-hmm. But we can also start to resemble something that's very opposed to the, to the Lord. Ooh, Mason. <laughs> You're saying something. And so I think that it's such an interesting connection because then it really makes me question God. And not in like questioning God and like, is God real? Mm-hmm. But questioning God and like, what makes you so different? Yeah. And like, why are you so different? Mm. Because my theology and my belief says that we are made in your image. Mm. But you don't ever do this. So where is the disconnect here? I think my question comes to why are you gathering? Meaning meaning in the late, like asking God like why or what are you gathering for? Okay. Because God is God never gathers people or gathers whatever he's gathering, anything without purpose, right? So like God doesn't gather all of 
all of what would be Israel at Pentecost, right? Right. You know, just to have them gather, right? He, they're gathering there to go and worship, right? But they're also, what they don't know, gathering to hear, like, the gospel, okay? God also doesn't gather in, in Babel for nothing, right? Because he has a plan all along. And maybe as Christians, we should probably get in the habit of asking, God, what are you gathering for right now? How do I get it? How, how do I see like what you're gathering for? Right? Because ultimately, like we're gathering Mason to make disciples here on earth, right? To bring glory to God, to honor and love our neighbor, to do justice, to walk humbly before our God. Like we're gathering because of Micah 6, 8, right? But, (laughs) but we should also be looking for spaces right now in our community to be like, God, what are you gathering here? What are you getting, what are you gathering for in your glory or what are you gathering to scatter? And what I mean is like, is there a space in your community right now where you actively see there is a need and that there are maybe Christians or people who are like seeing the need and working to like meet the need. Can you gather with them? I yeah. think another thing that this text does mm-hmm. shows two characteristics of God. Ooh. Um, I mean, it shows a lot of them, but this comparison of Babel and Pentecost right. shows God's immediacy mm-hmm. and his distance. Ooh, okay. Um, so, you know, humanity built the tower, God immediately responded, responded. Right. People were gathered, God immediately sent sent the spirit. Right. He's very active and involved. But also, the Tower of Babel happens about 4,200 years ago. Right. Happens about 2,200 BC. Right. Um... So there's a 2,200-year gap between Tower of Babel and Pentecost. Right. And that entire time, you have people of different languages, and that causes conflict. Right. And that causes, you know, like there's a lot of rich exchange and all that. And there's a beautiful evolution of language and all sorts of stuff. But, like, you don't see the payoff of Babel until 2200 years later and show and so it shows god's separateness in that god can kind of outweigh us his sovereignty there like, like it makes god like so it reminds me almost of have i ever told you the story of the time i i know i think my mom told you the story the time that i didn't want to eat my food i didn't want to i didn't want to take a no thank you bite no, I have not heard about this. So my family had this rule growing up called the no thank you bite. Okay. So even if I didn't like something, unless it had been clearly established that I didn't like it, I had to take a no thank you bite and swallow the food. Okay. Um, developed some really unhealthy things with eating, but also like I can see their point. Like it's, so it's just, it's weird gray territory. Yeah. yeah. So there was one night that I just was not having it. Just one we night. Sat down for dinner at 6.30. It was 11.45 and I still wasn't eating. I still had not, I wasn't allowed to get up from the table until I ate. 
So I already, I'd already taken one bite yeah. and I, I had then excused myself to go to the bathroom and put it like spit it out into the toilet and flushed it. Um, it, it, I got away with it once before, I, so they couldn't let me get away with it again. I was a very sneaky child. I can, um, I can see that. But so we're sitting there, and my parents are like, we can outweigh you. Like, mm. we can outweigh you. And me being a stubborn child, I was, said, no, you can't. And eventually it got to the point where my parents forced me to eat it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Like, not only that, but, like, I ate it, I chewed it up, and then I, like, forced myself to, like, to gag it out, and then my parents said, "Okay, eat that." So I had to eat like the the half eaten. No. It was a whole. It was a whole thing, but so, like it, like I didn't do it again. Right. Like I didn't do it again. Right. I think that's like we kind of see God doing that. We see God saying, "Okay, all right, if you want to do this, we can do this." Right. I'm not going to stop you from doing this. You have the right to make this decision, mm. even though it's a stupid decision. Right. Um, like, but make stupid choices, have stupid consequences. Well. Like, and so God says, okay, cool. I will play the waiting game with you. And he does. But I think that there's some encouragement there, right? Because absolutely, I imagine, right? That there's got to be folks after they scatter from Babel who are anxiously awaiting what God's going to do next. Right? Like they're they're awaiting like who the Messiah is gonna become, right? Right. You know, or better yet, like what is next? Right. And I and I say who the Messiah is gonna become because the next chapter is God making a covenant with Abraham, like Abram. Wait a second. Um, yeah, with Abram. And through Abram, there is going to be the promise. <laughs> like, there's going to be the promise of Jesus, right? So these people don't even know that God's preparing to take care of them yet. But he is. Like, he was always had a plan to take care of them. So I think there's got to be some waiting. So. And two. I think we see in this God as a father and as, as a father, as a mother, as a nurturer. Yes. As a, as a lover. Yes. Humanity. And as a steward of humanity. Yes. He has already had to kill his creation once. Not again. Like, and he told, he told Noah he wouldn't do another flood. There was no promise of not just, Wiping clean and starting over. So, like, we're really like, I mean, you got to imagine, like, if I'm God and I had just flooded the earth because the earth was that awful. Right. And then the one guy who was actually half decent first gets drunk as soon as he gets off the boat. Yes. Then condemns his, then condemns his son. Right. And then his son's children decide, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to spit in your face. I think I'd be pretty angry. I Like, I would be upset. But I, 
but I think that like that's what makes God God. It is because God. Here's another thing, y'all. I love the Old Testament. I'm in the Old Testament more than I am the New Testament because I think the Old Testament is a better picture of God's love. Um, and, by that, and by that I mean I, I and by that I mean I think it shows it shows it more readily. Mm. Um, not that Jesus is like Jesus is the ultimate example. Like yes, I agree with that. But the um, but the just the density of mm-hmm. the character of God. And the complexity of God. You don't find that in the New Testament like you do the Old Testament. No. You like, you just don't. Well, if you stay in the first chapter of John, Mason, you can find I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we can't just stay in the first chapter of John. Well, I could. I um, mean, yeah. We, but most people can't. Um, <laughs> but no. So I think that this we get to see God is really just really complex and he's not just some like two-dimensional figure that we say like oh in the old testament god was mean and angry and scary like no just because it doesn't say god was angry doesn't mean god probably like god was probably pretty mad and god was still like i'm going to do the thing that stops you from doing this without actually harming you because god also could have been like okay tower of babel fall over and crush half the population like your your granny Gertrude that you love so much and that and that raised you after your parents died, she's gonna get crushed by the tower because you decided to spit in my face. Like God could be that God could be that petty and like and he would be in his right. He would be in his right and he doesn't. And like it's it's a beautiful picture to me. What I think is wild is that if you get to the end of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, also the Pentateuch. God literally tells Moses, these people, they're going to cheat on me. They're going to cheat on me. They're not going to be faithful to me. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a song so that they can go ahead and rehearse how to, how to repent to me. Because let me tell you, they're not going to try to repent right. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to try to repent right. Okay. And then he's like, but because I know that they're going to cheat on me and not do right, I am going to put someone there to take care of them. If that is not the most loving person, most loving God that knows that you're going to do wrong, prepares you for the fact that you're going to do wrong, then gives you a way to make it right. And then instills people around you to help keep you on the right path then I don't, I don't want you as a God. I just don't want you as a God. Like as, as, as the songwriter once said, or the psalmist, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And that, that's all I have to say here because that's the type of God that I want. I want the type of God that is going to prepare me for the fact that I am going to make a mistake and then prepare a way for me to write it. And we see that in Babel. We see a God who's like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to separate you out. I'm also going to have a plan for you. I'm gonna tell you eventually how to make right with me. And yet again, in Pentecost, he does the same thing. He goes, I have already made, I have already made right with you. Like you've, you know, like through Jesus, like 
you have been made right. This is what you got to do, right? Well, so Kiva, you know my favorite book of the Bible. Oh. The great story of this. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't, that haven't met me in person, congratulations. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I love the book of Hosea. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm sure we've talked about it. If we haven't, I'm a little surprised. We uh, haven't, really, in great detail. I love the book of Hosea. Um, and the book of Hosea, well, we, this, it, there will definitely be, be an episode on this because I am kind of the director of this. So I, I do kind of get to choose what we talk about. Um, <laughs> just out there. Like, I, don't, I really don't have a boss on this. I kind of get to do whatever I want. It's kind of amazing. You have a boss? Kiva, Kiva really just has to kind of go with what I say. Uh, has to. Chooses to out of love. Really? He's <laughs> uh, a saint. <laughs> but no, like, Hosea is just such this rich book that the first couple chapters of the book, the first portion of this book is literally just a family in disrepair. Like, it is a family that is experiencing things that we in a modern day experience. Yep. Unfaithful spouse. Having to decide whether or not you're going to divorce the unfaithful spouse. Divorcing the unfaithful spouse. Remarriage. Mm -hmm. It's a whole thing. It's intense. And the entire time, what we see is we see a picture of God because God and Hosea become one and the same in the allegorical sense. Yes. And so the allegory of this becomes Hosea, as God's representative, continues to love and cherish and continues to keep promise and covenant with the one who continues to spit in their face. And like... It's waiting. He waits for her. And I I think that's the beautiful part about this. Is that like, I feel like Pentecost is like the ultimate wake. Like Pentecost is the ultimate moment where you're like, God's like with so much anticipation. I I can only imagine God being like, yo, I'm going to send my spirit and they're going to be like, wait a minute. You have this all planned out. Like you, you thought about us. So you know the um, you know the you know the Mickey Mouse like it's a surprise tool that'll help us later, right. and that's that's what Babel is. He's just like it's a surprise thing that'll help us later. Like, <laughs> I, and I think that's the, the beauty of it all is that I hate the Christian use of God as intentional, but there is such truth in that. God is. I like God is. God is precise. Hmm. I like God is precise. He does things with precision. Yes. Like a like he's like a surgeon. He so intently focuses in on the area to cut, on the area to sew, on the area to cauterize, on the area to whatever. And, and, I, and, I, and I would like to say, for those who think that the same God in the Old Testament is not the same God in the New Testament, keep looking. They're the same God. They're the same God, same God that's out to love, that's out to nurture, 
as Mason said, it's out to Aqua's precision. Like, it's the same God. Well, here's the thing. If the God of the New Testament is not the God of the Old Testament, then our God is not the same God as Jesus' God. Woo! I mean, because Jesus did not have the New Testament. Heresy alert. Heresy alert. The New Testament is written post-Jesus. Y'all hear that? Post-Jesus. So, like, Jesus only had the Old Testament and really had some other things besides the Old Testament. Like, and so if his, so his God was the Old Testament God. And so if we claim to worship the same God as Christ, right. that means that we have to be worshiping the Old Testament God. There we go. Like, and that's just, there's no way to deny that. It is as fundamental to our faith as saying that Jesus was a Jewish man. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's there. You have to admit it. And that, I think that's why we love Pentecost and we love Babel this house. Because they go together. They go together. So, Mason, any final words? Um... Be conscious mm. of your of your culture. You know, um, cultural miscommunication is a real thing. Yes, and it's not always malicious. It's not always intentional. It just happens, um, even between people who speak the same language. Yep. You know, um, like Kiva and I have had miscommunications because my culture, my my cultural background, the culture I was raised in, was very different than what Kiva's cultural background and traditions were yeah like on multiple merits and culture is and two culture is while we are part of cultural groups our culture is also unique yes um because our culture is a mixture of our race and our ethnicity our sexuality our gender yes our culture is informed by every aspect of life and every aspect of life is informed by our culture correct and so as we as Christians, as we as humans interact with this world and as we interact with others, continue to examine where they are. I couldn't have said it better. Um, I think my wisdom here is what are you seeing God gather? And it goes back to like Mason's name being conscious, but like, look, like, what are you seeing God gather? And can you be a part of it? And if God's scattering something, let me tell you, he's not scattering discord. He's not scattering hate. He's not scattering division. He's he's scattering love. Well, he's scattering life. Like, because think about it. He scattered and those people filled the earth. Filled. Like, and I think we can all agree the earth is full. Right. Um, yeah. Basically, if what you see is being scattered, is being life-giving, it's probably evidence of God being there. Alrighty. Well, um, this was an incredible episode. I don't think we've gotten to teach and preach in a while, and I... I like a teaching and preaching episode. I missed it. I know. <laughs> I know. I enjoy the pop scripture and I enjoy everything else, but I also just enjoy talking about the Bible. Yeah. And like 
we do it all the time. So this is nothing new for us. This is just it's 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 part of it. Yeah. Um, so um, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. Yes. And, and remember, if you're going to build a tower, don't tell God that you're trying to usurp him. Please don't. All right. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs> Bye.